0: Sequel Quest, Episode 94, a Transformers Reboot Sequel.
1: Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin
2: now. Greetings, citizens of Earth. We come from the planet Sequeltron to bring you imaginary film ideas that are more than meets the eye. Some movie franchises have overstayed their welcome on your planet's movie screens, threatening to bore and frustrate you. That is why we, the sequelbots, are committed to defend you against such hack attacks inflicted by one Michael Bay. We believe that decent entertainment is the right of all sentient beings podcasting seems to be your preferred method of communication on this planet so allow me to introduce you to the sequel bots who will be joining me on this mission to reboot the transformers movie franchise first a trusted ally in the war against cinematic atrocities say hello jeff jumper
3: hail or whatever they say
2: next our chief production engineer make yourself known jerumblebee Jerumbled? <laughs> That's pretty good. And ever at your service, I am Atomus Prime. Sequel bots, record and roll out. So, how about it, folks?
1: <laughs> there you go. There's my Transformer. Anyways. That was good. <laughs> we are excited. Jeremy, welcome
0: back. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a little while, but i'm glad to have heard we've had some great guests on
1: it's true we've had some really fun conversations but we should mention you know as a primer for this episode if you haven't watched the netflix series the toys that made us and their awesome episode on the transformers toy line and really the whole franchise in general the media empire you need to do so but you know long story short The Transformers toys by Hasbro, as we came to know them in the United States in 1984, it's actually made up of two different Japanese transforming robot toy lines. One called Diaclone, and then there was Microman, and even here and there they threw in a couple other just random series. They're like, ah, we're running out of toys. Put these guys in. They basically transform. So all of that was imported by Hasbro and combined into one of the most enduring toy lines of the 80s as a child of the 80s obviously we talk about it quite a bit i couldn't help being caught up in the excitement of the transformers you know i watched the cartoon i had the toys i had a set of pajamas at one point but i'm curious for you jeff You know, when we did our Masters of the Universe episode, you did say that you had a couple of the toys. You're a pretty big fan. Where did you fall on Transformers?
3: Well, my family growing up tended to be on the thrifty side. So I had zero Transformers, but I had numbers of GoBots. So I was a GoBot guy. I always kind of like, wow, you got
1: Transformers? Man, must be nice. It was the price point is what made GoBots as popular as they could be exactly
3: and i do know that i reading up for this this episode that gobots did end up getting
1: bought out by hasbro oh wow okay even i didn't know about that i mean i just remember that you know the iconic toys in the transformers line were expensive, even by 80s standards. I mean, you could get, like, four or five He-Man figures for the cost of one Optimus Prime, you know? And you could probably get 10 or 12 GoBots. So, And I, and I had a couple of GoBots, too. I had, like, Leader One was a fighter jet who was gray. I have one, actually, that I still have on my shelf to this day because it was just a very cool design it was part of like a super go bots line so it wasn't like the cheap ones it's just called future machine is what it says on it but i think that was the japanese name that stayed printed on the toy yeah he had a different name but yeah they were pretty interesting but i actually had transformers as far as like the big deal expensive ones i had grimlock the t-rex robot was my big figure and then i had lower end ones like these guys that were called Jump Starters. It was Topspin and Twin Twist. (laughs) Their transformation consisted of folding them in half once and then it would create a tiny vehicle and then you would pull it back and it would race forward and then it would flip forward and pop up into robot form. So that was like, oh, it's got an action feature. So yes, it's cheaper and it's a better deal and it's more fun. So I still have that one actually in front of me right here. But the fad really died out in the early 90s so i picked up a bunch of somebody's old transformers at garage sales so i finally got an optimus prime which i still have and a Skywarp who was a jet like starscream i had a shockwave who was a decepticon that turned into a light-up laser gun and he met a sad end because in the mid 90s i got into this phase where i would draw my own superheroes that i would customize existing action figures to make movies about my creations of the family camcorder it
0: totally sounds like you, Adam.
1: Yes. <laughs> so for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to rip off Shockwave's arms and legs, which wow. Transformers collectors are cringing right now, and hot glue gun them to the torso of a Voltron Black Lion oh. toy, and then attach the head of a 70s action doll I got from my brother called and Hook from a Matchbox line of toys called Fighting Furies to create my bad guy you know whatever bot he was and if i had held on to that shockwave he had all his parts he worked he'd be worth like 50 bucks today is he really wow which (laughs) is a shame so but jeremy i'm curious for you
0: like i remember watching the cartoons i didn't own any of the toys like i was very disconnected from this franchise only vaguely on whatever was on Saturday mornings for cartoons and not until you get to the Bay movies, really.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. I think that's probably true of a lot of people. There was kind of that core period for the Transformers, like 1984 to maybe, you know, 19... I would say 87, 88 at the most, where they were actually still selling a lot. And the thing that's interesting about Transformers is they weren't just toys, because the story of the Transformers came through... What publishing house, Jeremy? Do you know that one? Marvel? Yeah. Marvel Comics was basically brought on board to create a story because hasbro had a bunch of toys they had a bunch of figures but they're like they're not related they didn't import a japanese cartoon with it so they went to marvel they said hey we need you to come up with something for us which they had done just a few years earlier for hasbro's gi joe real american hero line it also launched as a marvel comic initially in order to say it was based on a literary source which mm. was really interesting and so they did that they had this guy bob budianski basically jim shooter who was the editor-in-chief says hey we got to put this together i got a basic premise now you got to name them all there's 26 <laughs> robots you got to uh. name by monday and it was interesting though because you know, like gi joe had more female characters in Transformers. You know, you had Scarlet, Lady J, you had the Baroness, you had, uh, what's her name, Zerana or something. She was one of the bad guys that was kind of more of a punk rock look. But in Transformers, you only ever had, eventually, RC, it was like the female Transformers. But so they didn't work more into that. It was kind of fascinating. But I mean, the Transformers comic went on for 80 issues. So it's something that almost outlasted the initial source material for it.
3: Well, and not only that, but like reading up, it's also been rebooted and restarted, I think, three times. Like the majority of the, um, I guess there's no such thing as canon necessarily where Transformers are concerned because (laughs) Michael Bay has created his own canon. The cartoons had their own canon and the comics had their own canon. Right. And even the comics kind of rebooted and uh, retconned multiple times but yeah i was even reading about the different eras and that the comic book background is extensive
1: it really is i mean and it got better as it went on because initially the first four issue miniseries is just like every panel a new transformer showing up oh hey sea spray what are you doing here oh hey great to see you hound you know and they would just like (laughs) keep walking in because they were just they wanted you to know the names of the toys and yes they're part of the story uh but then they really started yeah getting interesting later on and getting creative like i've been reading up even reading some of my transformers comics to my son at bedtime yeah they have some good little sci-fi stories in there but i think if you talk to really the general public it's the cartoon that everybody would consider the source material right that's what they go back to and they say well that's that's what i know and and truth be told i feel like the cartoon is really actually pretty well written oh yeah if you get back to what it was ultimately about i mean it was easy to follow but the characters were distinct not just in design but in their vocal quality and the way they were written there was betrayals and you know there was all sorts of heavy duty uh, themes that would play through here and there in addition to just like silly we gotta save this damn from breaking
3: Right? Which is the funny thing that like that I've noticed in going back, and and I'm not the retro guy that you are, Adam, but I, I know like for me, going back and watching some of the cartoons from my childhood uh, is that some of them do not stand up well. Like I will say, and I apologize to any uh, Thundercats fans, Thundercats is a joke, man. If you go back and you watch it, like, it is painful to watch. G.I. Joe, while a little campy, is pretty solid. Uh, so there was a certain level of depth. And and I don't know if you remember, uh, Adam, but like a friend of ours, Sam, that we used to play uh, mm-hmm. Dungeons & Dragons with, he would swear up and down. And granted, he was maybe a little biased, but he would <laughs> swear up and down that the greatest film of all time not animated, not move like, but literally <laughs> film. I'd be talking about Citizen Kane, and he'd say Transformers: The Movie is the greatest <laughs> cinematic accomplishment of all time. Wow. And- It is an exaggeration, but if you look at, like, that is an amazing film. I mean, you know, starting off with, spoiler alert, Optimus Prime dying and passing on his title to somebody else who has to carry it on. And so, like, there's some really deep themes that they explored, which which was pretty impressive,
1: I thought and also some songs by weird al <laughs> right right right. Uh, the junk bots come on everybody <laughs> no i mean like but yeah i mean because there was a huge jump they had done a few seasons of the tv series you know i actually picked up a few vintage vhs tapes of the series at goodwill i don't know if you remember them jeff and the big slip cases these they had comic art all over them you used to see them in the video rental store in the kids section they were so big you couldn't miss but from watching that to transformers the movie where not only is like the actual animation style is just much more beautiful to look at but it's kind of crazy that in the original cut there's cursing in that movie i mean they really took it to like this extreme place with people getting killed i mean starscream dies in addition to optimus prime and really the whole point was of the movie we're trying to kill off the original line of toys so we can literally introduce a brand new toy line in the fall. And that's what they did because... They made the movie, and then season three of the cartoon started with all new characters. So if kids didn't go to the theater to see Transformers the movie, they're like, who is Rodimus Prime? (laughs) Who who is Fortress Maximus? Like, who is R.C.? Like, you didn't know who anybody was. And so it was really not a a smart move. And so they actually resurrected Optimus Prime eventually, because parents were writing it on behalf of their children. Where's Optimus? But it's weird because there really hasn't been like a three or four year period where some form of Transformers wasn't on the air. They had a very big success with Beast Wars in 1996 but that was like the period for me like with Pokemon and Beanie Babies and Tavagotchi Giga Pets and all that was just beyond my childhood and I was a pretty immature you know 12 and 13 year old you know getting into high school but still there were some attempts to reboot the series and it didn't quite go over well but then more recently you had stuff like Rescue Bots, Transformers Rescue Bots, which is kind of the preschool version, which my son really likes. But it's actually pretty well written. I mean, again, they don't dumb it down. They just make it so it's not too intense. And there's been like, you know, they're on Netflix right now. There's Prime, uh, you know, and there's a couple others that they've tried. So, I mean, they've always kept it somehow afloat.
3: Despite Michael Bay's best efforts.
1: (laughs) Well, so, So let's talk about that. Jeremy, This is a franchise that has somehow continued and continued and continued, (laughs) uh, as Jeff said, despite Michael Bay's best efforts to make us sick of the Transformers. So why don't you give us a quick timeline on the Transformers franchise?
0: All right. Transformers came out in July of 2007. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen was June 2009. Transformers Dark of the Moon... June of 2011, every two years here. And then they took an extra year and came out with Age of Extinction in 2014, also June. Wow, they are oddly consistent. Summer blockbusters here. And finally, Michael Bay finished it up with The Last Night in June of 2017. Now, just this past December 2018, Bumblebee was released. And having seen it, it's a reboot of the timeline. So there are two things we're talking about here.
1: Okay, so, Jeremy, for you, what was the first inkling of a Michael Bay Transformers that you recall? I
0: might have seen a trailer for the first one, but then I was in Africa between the release of the first through the second. I'm honestly drawing a blank as to when I actually watched one. I think I saw the first two on video at my cousin's house.
1: But then at this point you've caught up with all of them. Like you've watched the entire franchise. As far as I know, <laughs> <laughs> they all bled together. Yes. <laughs> right.
0: Lots of metal mashing, twisting, turning, churning.
2: <laughs> yes. Building ruckus
0: music. Yeah. Um, I, I just barely watched the last night in like November.
1: Now, because I remember I was pretty excited when the Michael Bay movie was announced because I didn't really associate Michael Bay with much. I mean, I'd seen Armageddon and Pearl Harbor and caught a piece of Bad Boys on TV, you know, but I wasn't like dedicated to him. I'd never seen The Rock, which I know a lot of people love. But what got me was the teaser trailer and it was so cool because it started out, it was supposedly showing footage from the Mars rover, which had been, you know, been sent out a couple of years before it was a big deal in the news. And I remember that it was giving us like these POV shots as it roamed the surface. And then at the very end, it gets smashed by a giant, like shadowy robot figure. And then that was it. And it really just captured my imagination because it seems so ominous. And then I saw the movie and I was like, oh, this is a comedy. (laughs) (laughs) I thought this was pretty funny. And the truth is that humor is still mostly what I enjoy from that first movie. Like when I go back to watch it, I'm going back to laugh. Rest in peace, Bernie Mac. I loved his cameo as the used car salesman. He was so much fun. That police detective when Sam is getting interrogated, he's like, what's this? Mojo? Is that what the kids are doing these days? A little bit of mojo? Hey, you looking at my piece? You know, like, he's just like... And Anthony Anderson, I think he gives a great performance, too. He's got several good bits. When they got him in the interrogation room, they give him a plate of donuts. and he, He's like, you gotta eat the whole thing, or else they think you're guilty. And he's like, you and me, we're in this together. And then they come, she did it! It was her! No, don't talk to me, criminal! i mean i i think and even shia labouf and his family are actually pretty funny characters in the first movie so like i got a kick out of it from that perspective and jeff did you get as many laughs out of it
3: (laughs) no one gets as many laughs as you do adam i don't think that's physically (laughs) possible uh well the funny thing is is that I kind of had the opposite reaction. Uh, I mean, one, I don't necessarily have the soft spot in my heart, especially, like, like, again, with Transformers, because I had GoBots. I didn't have Transformers. So when I saw that a movie was going to come out, like, it really didn't... Like, if anything, I associated that... I felt kind of the same way when they, they said they were going to make a movie called Battleship. I had the same sort of a feeling where I'm like, seriously? Oh, Lord. this is going to be this is gonna be painful so i didn't see it until maybe three years after it had come out i saw it on like at somebody's house
1: but but let me ask you this jeff so if this had been uva bowles go bots the movie then you would have been excited yes? no
3: same reaction no because because <laughs> that's the way i remember go bots is they were the cheap version of something else so yeah <laughs> There would have been no if it was well, and I was I was more excited when GI Joe the movie came out, even though it looked like it was going to be just as cheesy and was
1: probably more cheesy. Well, we went and saw that together. We got to, we're going to get to that someday because that's true. I think they're talking about a reboot at this point or a Snake uh, Eyes spin off, but it's been too long, you know. Yeah, but
3: yeah, to be honest, to this point, I'm pretty sure. No, I'm fully sure. That's still the only one of the franchise that I've seen. Oh, I wow. only saw the first one, so I can't really, really? speak to any of the other
1: ones. <laughs> they didn't win you over with any of the hype after the fact. Oh,
3: either. they lost more and more and more. When I saw the trailer for what was the the Dark Side of the Moon, it was like oh, <laughs> and then Marky Mark came in and
1: oh. Well, I mean, it. it all, I'll agree. I mean, this movie was not my Transformers. You know, it was not what I was expecting. Like I said, the cartoon had focused on the characters of the Autobots and Decepticons, and you watched their friendship, their interactions as arch enemies and the power struggles. But the way that Bay makes his movie about a boy in his car and young romance, plus, like, the overcomplicated designs of the transformers so you can't really distinguish one from another even if i'm there even if they're somewhat static and i'm trying to focus my eyes on them there's too many pieces and it just caused me to be like completely disconnected from the action sequences you know of which there are many obviously but it's just like to me i i'm seeing okay it's a human story and there's a bunch of autobots and decepticons fighting around them but you almost never get the motivations and the relationships between anybody other than we're on this team and we're on this team and they even took the soul out of optimus prime he's just like you know a leader on a mission and he had so much more to him in the series even as a kid i do that and i'm watching this and it's just like we fight and we must continue you know and you're just like okay well uh, <laughs> so I so I was I was really kind of bummed out about that because I'm used to you know from the Transformers perspective not the human characters that sort of interacted with them throughout the series other you know who were just like ah save us from the Decepticons you know uh, but what do you guys think about the design of the Bay Transformers and the actual transformation process they go through way too slow mo mm.
2: really
0: way too much slow-mo oh okay like it's not a michael bay film if there isn't some giant slow-mo scene
1: <laughs> that probably took him two months to shoot and again maybe the point was if we do some stuff in slow-mo you could kind of make out who <laughs> the characters are but i gotta tell you i read the official movie sequel comic called the Raid of Starscream
2: and the yeah. transformer
1: designs are not any easier to make out in a static <laughs> illustrated form. I still couldn't wow. make sense of what was happening on the page. And I would have like five minutes to stare at it. I was just like, it's just poor design work. I mean, I think they were like, look at how much we can do with CGI. We can put so much detail. Shiny, everywhere. shiny well, metal. Right.
3: And I think they want it. Cause at least for me, that, that was kind of my biggest complaint. Again, not being a huge Transformers fan in the first place, but I didn't feel like there was any sense of nostalgia from that. Where it's yeah. I really appreciated that they used... What's-his-name that was the original voice of, of Optimus Prime? That yeah, was Barry awesome. Yeah. yeah. But outside of that, there was just... Yeah, like you said, I mean, not only did they not look like the characters really? But it, it was almost like they were trying to appeal to a non-Transformers familiar audience. That, so that let's, let's make these robots that are incredibly complex and incredibly whatever so that we get the sci-fi and the whatever fans. They don't need to know anything about the Transformers. In fact, the transforming thing is kind of a, a minor subplot. Like, because – It didn't really feel like their ability to transform, at least from the one movie that I saw, uh, it didn't seem like their ability to transform really aided them in any way.
1: Except for the Decepticons that could fly, because then they could just jump and get out of there real quick, you know? But you're right, everybody else is just like, well, I'm still on the ground, I'm still a target, you know? it was all just about the Allspark, which I, to me is a very lame MacGuffin. That although, you know, it's explained, sort of, it's not clearly stated as to why it matters. Like, it is, but it isn't. It's just like, it's all powerful, and it could do all these things, and it can destroy everybody, or it can create life, or whatever. And it's just like, okay. Loki. So
3: Loki yeah. is going to take it so that he can bring <laughs> in the, you
1: know. <laughs> it's one of those things that we're, we are saying, okay, maybe we it wasn't our favorite thing, and yet... Look at how long this series has gone on. Like, it connected in a big way. People uh, wanted Did it really? That. I don't know that I would use that word. It's making money and continues to make money and people go to these movies.
3: Not because of connection. Because what's, what sells now is experience. I would, be, I would not be surprised if Transformers has one of the lowest DVD sales. Because who wants to watch a Transformers movie at home? You want to watch a Transformer movie in the big screen when there's explosions and it's like, ah and like whatever, and that's what it's built.
1: I mean, that's what I'll say. Like, I saw Dark of the Moon in IMAX because it was promoted as a must-see spectacle. There's a 45-minute destruction of Chicago scene. It's nonstop action. But you know what that amounted to? Whole lot of noise, buildings falling down, and you know what I remember from the story? nothing but a cameo by ken jong and letter d boy voicing one of the bad guys like that's all i remember about dark of the moon there was nothing else in that and like revenge of the fallen before that was a mess that they blamed on the writer's strike you know they had a very not racially sensitive stereotype characters in that that got a lot of heat but ultimately it was just lame you know they had like a crotchety old transformer in an airplane graveyard who could teleport and there was autobot heaven and it was just they also killed optimus prime which was way too soon to be playing that card in the second movie it's like you're already like feeling desperate enough that you got to kill him off and like again nostalgia there was the callback but you hadn't built to, to really caring about the characters even like in the first one when megatron pulls jazz apart it's like you don't care it's like okay I guess there's one ripped apart robot.
0: You know where this is making money? It's overseas.
1: Yeah, that's so
0: here's how the box office goes breakdown with in the US three hundred and nineteen million was the first one. The second one, Revenge of the Fallen, four hundred and two million. So there was a little bit of a jump in anticipation. Yeah. And from there it's all downhill. Ah, okay. Uh, Dark of the Moon, three hundred and fifty million. Age of Extinction, 245 million. The Last Knight, 130 million. And overseas, it's actually the reverse. Wow. Well, almost. Almost the reverse. Transformers, 709 million. So they doubled us. Yeah. Revenge of the Fallen, 836 million. Dark of the Moon, 1.12 billion overseas. Wow. Wow. Um, Age of Extinction, 1.1 billion overseas, and Last Night was only 605 million. Then you had this latest one, which is a reboot with Bumblebee set in the 80s, 127 million US, and it grossed 459 million overseas.
3: Wow, that's all. So it just yeah. cracked 500.
1: Yeah, barely. I mean, it feels like almost if you do, if it doesn't say Transformers in the title, people don't know what to expect.
3: Maybe, because my impression, and again, I didn't see it, but my impression is that it was very well received and people really thought it brought some new life back. But it's crazy that it was it, it, it was it a did. bomb. Well,
0: not really. Um, well, I by Transformers need to... standards. Well, please. yeah. Well, I mean, the whole franchise has been going. Michael Bay's running into the ground, and so they're trying something new. Mm, Uh, let me see if i can find that box i I think
1: i think what it what it came uh, you know with with the the bay movies basically people knew what they were getting so there's some comfort in that it's like either you like it you don't like it but if you know what it is at least you know what you're spending your money on i guess with bumblebee again you're kind of like well it looks like just like a girl and her robot friend story and so people might Uh not be on board for that yet that scene of the fight on Cybertron that they showed in the trailer—it's on YouTube. You could watch the whole thing. The DVD oh, Blu-ray yeah. doesn't come out till next week, I don't think, but you could watch it. And that's all I wanted to see, so I watched that just before the show. <laughs> that's great, like that. Put make that the whole movie, you know, like that. That's like the first five minutes. Yeah, just Transformers on Cybertron. You know, you get some sense of their relationships, and it's interesting. So, I mean, but the thing is too is they have, like, more films in production. Like, I think there's a Transformers 7, which I don't think is related 100% to the Bumblebee continuity. I don't, that was the one I don't uh, understand. Yeah, I don't know. It is yeah. labeled
0: Transformers 7, but I think that's just a placeholder uh, name until but they, they can but at figure what out. Point
1: didn't they announce, like, we have 13 Transformers films in production. That's so. right. uh, they started All Spark Pictures, a separate uh-huh. uh, Hasbro production uh-huh. company, just to make Transformers movies. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So they're betting
1: uh, I, a lot on this. Well, and, and the thing is, if they've learned anything from
0: Marvel, start with single stories yeah. and build up.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
3: Well, except I... for not by looking at their box office. I think by looking <laughs> at their box office, go big or go home. It's kind <laughs> of the... Well,
1: they're again, they got to try that new tact because eventually the, the spectacle wore off. But I got to mention, too, with the fact that, you know, again, they're still putting films in production. So about a month ago, I was driving down to Flagstaff, Arizona, which is a couple hours away from where I live, doing some antique store shopping, and I passed the actual Optimus Prime semi-truck on the highway just north of the city and I, I mean it, it had all the flames it had all the, you know the exhaust pipes and everything I was like it was just the cab driving up this hill that I was going down and I was just like what? because they've in the past they filmed a lot of scenes in Monument Valley which is not too far from where I live so I assume it was on its way there again for you know some more filming for a future movie and I know Jeremy out by you they did some filming on a new freeway right on on, th- on the 303 out in Phoenix right
0: as it was still Getting finished, they shut it down
1: for like three months. So, Transformers coming to a town near you, you know? <laughs> I actually should mention, too, that that was a very fortuitous day in terms of Transformers collecting, because I actually went to Goodwill, found a g1 optimus prime toy so the original it just in a box with a bunch of happy meal toys at goodwill i got it for 50 cents and then i went to another store and <laughs> got the full trailer to attach to him so it was like a magical transformers day like optimus prime blessed me as he passed it along <laughs> the highway. I was like, thank
0: you prime
1: you guys were talking
0: how it was tough to tell who was who in the original bay universe mm-hmm. in bumblebee They are very much catering to the old style, older looks, Gen 1 type for all of them. And it's a lot easier, even on Cybertron in that battle, you can tell
1: who is who and what's going on. I mean, very distinct color schemes. That's all you need. Like, I feel like in all the other movies, the reason Bumblebee was the one you could pick out He's Uh, yellow. The yellow yellow one. Okay. Optimus is red and blue. Got it. The rest of them, gray and black. I don't know who anybody is. So, I mean, that totally makes sense that they've gone back to that. But it's kind of like you said, diminishing returns here, doing a little bit better overseas. But they feel the need at this point, Hasbro and Paramount, even, you know, to get... The reboot going, they got Steven Spielberg involved again, because I think he had kind of stepped out from the executive producer role after the first few. So, Bumblebee wasn't a blockbuster per se. It sounds like it made some good money, but it wasn't huge, and you don't hear everybody talking about it other than the old fans saying again, First five minutes are (laughs) awesome, because it looks like the cartoon. So,. What would we bring to the table then? What is our idea to make Transformers a viable franchise again? We're saying it made its money, but can it continue to interest people? How do you bring them back or how do you get that new audience again? So, Jeff, what did you have in mind?
3: As listeners will recall, especially if we're going to deal with uh, an existing property, I'm going to go back to the well. Uh, and find uh, uh, what works best for me. So uh, there are tons of great stories out there from either the uh, comic books or the cartoon show. Uh, Although, to be perfectly honest, I would prefer to find a better character than the one that the actual story that I got is based on. It's based on Dinobot, which I'm okay not using Dinobot, because then we have to explain why Dinobot exists.
1: Now, there are many Dinobots. Is this Grimlock or all the Dinobots?
3: So this is... Well, at least from what I can tell from the story, this is actually a character named Dinobot. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, again, I mean, all
1: Transformers fans right now are screaming like, "What are you doing? Is it I'm
2: slag? Kind of like, no, Who is it? Hold on, Let me pull
3: up my information." Yes. All well, right, but, my this. point is, my point is, is that we're not. It is Dinobot is the name of his character from. He's on Beast Wars, and his oh, name is Dinobot. Okay. Oh, that Huh? Huh? Okay. Good job, good job. See, okay. thank you. So anyway, uh, but my, my whole point is I don't think I want to use Dinobot because then we have to explain why he's a dino, blah, 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 blah. So maybe we use a different character. We're going to continue on after Bumblebee. I want to use the kind of same, not only the same canon that has been created by Bumblebee, but also stick with the same sort of an idea where we're doing character focused uh, as opposed to hack and slash sort of a thing so several years after bumblebee takes place the Autobots have settled on earth and they are still battling the Decepticons so the Decepticons still live on cyber Sa, Sa, what's the cybertron st- that one their their home their home planet so anyway over the years that they've been uh, living on earth, They've learned kind of how to adapt and how, like, as new vehicles are coming out. So, like, Bumblebee learns that, hey, why would I turn into a Volkswagen Bug? Because now they have new Bug, or now they have whatever. And eventually he kind of evolves into newer, higher technology vehicles. So same thing with all of the Transformers. Uh, And not only are they adapting to new vehicles and new technology by the humans, but also they themselves are developing themselves as well. And so, like, they're discovering new technologies through the different chemicals and minerals on earth but our main character dinobot or somebody else for one reason or another uh, doesn't adapt whether he's part of the old guard whether he he just he thinks that that's betraying who they are i think that's kind of more as like a pride sort of an issue but because of that he kind of feels left behind the other autobots are evolving and and he's not Uh, so then we kind of have a flashback and we find out that his deal is that he actually was a Decepticon that in some sort of a side plot, which I don't actually have mapped out, he did end up switching sides. And so he, he became a, an Autobot after originally aligning with the Decepticons. But that further creates his separation from the other Autobots. They don't fully trust him. Uh, they kind of feel like, what's it going to take for you to flip back to the other side. So they get word again. As this is time has gone on, they get word that a golden disc. Maybe it'll have some fancy technology name or something like that. A golden disc has been discovered on abandoned, far out part of cyber, cyber. Tron. What's the planet again?
1: <laughs> Cybertron.
3: Cybertron. There you go. So the golden disc has been discovered. And apparently what this golden disc will do, it's not quite time travel. What it enables people to do is enables people to rewrite history. So if Megatron gets this, he can actually rewrite history so that the Autobots are either never created or they never split off or something like that, that he then, you know, they're defeated before they even begin. So obviously this golden disc is everything. If it falls into the wrong hands, all is lost. So, Dinobot, or whoever this guy is, he feels like this is his opportunity to go and to prove that he belongs here. And he can, like, this is one of the most important missions of all time. And so he can do it. But obviously, Optimus and the other. Autobots don't want him to go because he's kind of technologically behind. again, they don't fully trust him and everything like that. So what ends up happening as they're deciding who will go, Dinobot goes anyway. so against Optimus's wishes, he actually takes a ship or however it is they travel through space and travels all the way back in secret back to the homeworld, which of course uh, by this point is now full of Decepticons or maybe not full but you know there are decepticons everywhere. So uh, essentially then the bulk or at least the second part or third part, wherever we are now in the movie, is kind of a quest slash battle, like ongoing battle, is that to get to the Golden Disk, what ends up happening is there's more and more battles that Dinobot has to fight all by himself. And he kind of has to find uh, different ways because he is experienced and because he is, you know, he's got his Personality and his own uh, skills and stuff like that. He does find out ways to persevere and he does win harder and harder challenges. But as it's going, he's getting more and more spent and more and more damaged and, and everything. Uh, and so finally, like the climax of the movie, the finale of the movie is he finally does get to the golden disc. But at that point, the the circumstances are such that the only way that he can actually destroy the golden disc, like he's he has it but he doesn't have enough energy or power to get all the way back to uh, his escape pod to get back. So the only way to destroy the disc is by overloading his own systems or something along those lines. So he ends up having to sacrifice himself to destroy this golden disc finally. And that, that would be kind of like the overall theme of the movie is not only does everybody else kind of not really trust him, but he's kind of trying to figure out who he is. Am I a hero? Am I a villain? Am I just a, a whatever? And so finally, he kind of comes into his own as a hero, as sacrificing himself to save everybody else.
1: Jeff, you can pick them. You know how to find those good (laughs) stories. I'm actually surprised in all these movies. As far as I know, there has not been a Decepticon that switched sides at some point, because that's a fascinating starting point for anything. So cool. Well, I only had two requirements of myself for my reboot concept. Number one, no Allspark. And number two, no humans. (laughs) You know, the human characters are always annoying to me on the cartoon. The all spark is vague and undefined as we mentioned. So I don't care to resurrect it. Also, like they've already started with Bumblebee, simplified, boxy robot designs, but I want the performances to be created through motion capture by actual actors. (laughs) Because just like you, Jeff, I want this to be a character piece. I want it to be about the drama among the Autobot crew and watching them come together as a team instead of these aliens who are just coming to defend the Earth. Basically, my template is Star Trek 2009, which interestingly enough was from the same writers as the first transformers film which this will surely lose me jeff's boat based solely on referencing that film i understand i yeah but yeah so i give you transformers the energon advantage we open on a planet cybertron at an ancient temple with a wall inscription that's translated to read adapt to survive Within the temple, we find various scale models of vehicles from throughout the galaxy, including Earth, all carefully curated, though now old and dusty. We also see hieroglyphics showing transforming visitors to other worlds that take on the form of indigenous creatures of each planet to assist in their evolution and growth, also acting as protectors. A wise transformer who looks like a converted steam engine is leading an impassioned speech to an assembled group of rebels called Autobots about the difference between using the change to become one with the world or bleeding a planet dry until it's nothing more than a lifeless celestial body floating through the galaxy. To be an Autobot is to be autonomous and free from the selfish pull towards corrupting power and tyranny. It's explained that the Decepticons first began pillaging the resources of other planets under the guise of saving Cybertron. But Megatron's plan was more than meets the eye, having truly sought only his evolution into an all-powerful being. And after one mission off-planet that labeled Megatron a hero, when he returned with enough energon cubes to keep their planet thriving, the Decepticons instead used that power to overthrow the House of Prime. The wise rulers of the planet have began aggressively mining and stockpiling all the Energon on Cybertron, dooming the remaining Cybertronians to a slow death as they barely subsist on a synthetic substitute over the last 20 power cycles. But there is a greater danger. The Speaker reveals that now is the time for the Autobots to take action, as Megatron has recently led his forces on an expedition to conquer another planet, and that a young warrior named Optimus Prime has been selected to lead a small band to intercept and return the Energon to Cybertron's core before the planet begins to devour its inhabitants for sustenance. Supplying Optimus and crew with one pure Energon cube that was hidden away in the temple, each member of the team is now fully charged and ready to pursue the Decepticons on a large vehicle called the Ark, which is actually the temple converted into a spacecraft using the change. On the ark. we see Optimus taking the reins as the leader of this expedition, though he is unsure of his place among the great legacy of leadership created by his ancestors, preferring reason to violence. His second-in-command is Hound, a veteran in the attempted war against the Decepticons, and lover of Earth culture who convinced Prime to take the form of a powerful Earth Big Rig, just as he himself chose a military jeep, saying that the resiliency of Earthlings as a relatively young and vulnerable race has often provided him with the desire to continue on in the face of overwhelming odds. Ratchet is the resident medical repair officer who has taken the form of an ambulance and is a bit of a comedian playfully scolding the Autobots for not taking better care of themselves or choosing rickety vehicle forms he is joined in the repair bay by ironhide who is assigned to guard the bodies of the other Autobot forces kept in stasis until the battle commences in order to conserve their limited energon supplies Though loyal to the Autobot cause, Ironhide is critical of Prime's inexperience, often stating that he would have made a different decision in almost every circumstance. Also on board is RC, a passionate female Transformer, who felt that she was the obvious choice to lead this mission, having been instrumental in recruiting the Autobot forces to begin with, She's bitter about Optimus being chosen above her, blaming the Primes for being weak leaders who ruled with talk over action, claiming that this led them to be unprepared for the Decepticon coup. The Speaker reveals that it was her impulsive attempt to confront Megatron one-on-one that nearly uncovered their rebel plan and ultimately kept her out of the running. He's hoping that perhaps she can learn something from Prime about using her mind instead of her fists. On the Decepticon side, of course, we have Starscream constantly scheming to gain allies in the ranks to help him eventually overthrow Megatron and become their leader, which comedically finds him trying to win favor with the other villains. Megatron himself is much more sympathetic and suffering from a Thanos complex in this film, with a sincere, if misguided, motivation. You see, after several exploratory missions showed what he deemed the feeble and petty nature of the galaxy's other beings, Megatron declared that the inhabitants of Cybertron were squandering their potential as a superior race, and tried to convince the Primes to conquer and unite the universe under their rule to prevent the other worlds from destroying each other. The Primes rejected this plan as denying every sentient being's right to freedom, destructive or otherwise, was wrong megatron publicly acquiesced but secretly planned his coup the autobots pursue the decepticon craft to the surface of a planet populated by tiny anthropomorphic animal beings who war with each other based on their elemental alliances the decepticon forces begin setting up their fuel conversion machine while swatting away these battle beasts like flies as they attempt to stop the giant machines. Meanwhile, the Autobot crew attempts a covert hijacking of the Energon payload at the Decepticon ship, but they are caught in the act. When Optimus confronts Megatron, boldly demanding he change his ways and allow Cybertron to survive, the idealistic leader is laughed at by the Decepticon Conqueror, who won't even engage in battle with what he deems an unworthy foe. Sicking Starscream on Optimus, the inexperienced Autobot is quickly beaten into a retreat, disgusting R.C. and the rest of the crew as they fly away on the Ark. The Ark, though, is pursued by the Decepticons and damaged, causing it to crash land on another nearby planet inhabited by giant thunder lizards. The Autobots are forced to survive on this savage world, with a disheartened optimist giving up the leadership role to a willing RC. It is here the group meets up with a group of Cybertronian expats named the Dinobots, led by Grimlock, who says they fled Cybertron when they saw how soft the society had become, and not wishing to fall under the rule of a conqueror who would surely come. After a test of strength with RC, who proves to be a more clever fighter than the raging brute of Grimlock, they fight to a standstill and a mutual respect is formed. Optimus tries to reason with the Dinobots to get them to help repair the Ark, but is mocked by the bullies who say, Who gonna make us? Ah, ah, ah! At his wit's end, Optimus violently battles Grimlock while spouting the philosophy of the Speaker, trying to change his mind, ultimately defeating him, shocking RC and the others. Optimus has to be restrained by the other Autobots as he continues to angrily plead with the Dinobot leader to help them stop Megatron from enslaving the universe. Grimlock is shocked to learn that Megatron is the dictator who placed himself in power, having a hatred for him after being defeated in combat by the tyrant in an earlier encounter, which was enough to make him a mortal enemy, and Grimlock agrees to help. Back on Cybertron, Megatron has set up a public execution of all Autobot sympathizers, feeding them to the planet's core as a sacrifice. This begins with the Speaker, whose death is transmitted to the Ark for the Autobots to see in real time. Now more determined than ever, they make their return the arc the final battle finds the decepticon and autobots awoken from stasis battling in the outer atmosphere above cybertron when the gravity of the planet is compromised by the disintegration of the surface and the core basically recreating the iconic space battle on the packaging art of the g1 toys and sadly hound dies in the conflict in the final moments optimus makes his way towards megatron who has simply been watching the melee from afar and putting his soldiers in front of himself to fight on his behalf. But each time he does, another Autobot takes the fight for themselves, clearing a path for Optimus, until the two leaders are face-to-face with Prime declaring, Megatron, you will fight me a brutal battle ensues culminating in Optimus fusing Megatron to the Energon payload of their craft and sending it into the planet's core ending the crisis and the conflict then there would be an end credits scene with all the Decepticons having having been rounded up and imprisoned but Starscream has been declared missing they then get an alert of a ship and assuming Starscream is aboard activate the homing beacon which reveals the location of the ship its current trajectory is a planet called Earth.
3: Dun, dun, dun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) So there you go. Jeremy, what do you got? Well, I mean,
0: the one thing that the Transformers franchise hasn't done yet is a crossover. Oh. And, you know, the easy crossover would be with G.I. Joe, right?
1: Which was done in the comics, and it was really boring. I was just reading it. (laughs) So
0: the idea I have cooked up is... Crossing over Transformers down the line. Not this is a right this instant do it because there's breathing new life into the franchise. Uh, Let it get a little stale and then you can inject this other franchise in. And we need to inject a little bit of Dominic Toretto. (laughs) Give it a little Fast and Furious driving and fighting on a treasure hunt against some space pirates. (laughs)
1: <laughs> are they donkey pirates
0: uh, i don't know if they are donkey pirates but they have <laughs> in invaded earth and they are going for something that the transformers are aware of and are trying to protect
1: i think that that works for me i mean space pirates bring them on <laughs> so fast and furious and I'm assuming Dom and his guys are, are are driving the Autobots. There's going to be some conflict there, with you don't drive me, I drive
3: you. Right. right? Isn't that where we landed with our Fast and the Furious sequel?
1: I feel <laughs> like well, I, I feel like Jeremy there. pitched it back then. Is possibly, it, is. <laughs> this but it, is but it might have just been two. mentioned because we went with we went with they go to space it was Fast and Furious, right. I mean, which is the, the inevitable outcome. You
0: know, you just got to keep pitching the same story until it's taken, <laughs> till somebody gets the
1: idea. Exactly, and it's all about, and about timing, timing.
0: All righty, now that my pitch is in,
1: Adam, where does your vote fall? Well, Jeff, I got to say I was a little bit frustrated that there's a gold disk that could easily you know just be the all spark, so when I heard your pitch, i was <laughs> i was I was almost going to pull it Jeff and say, "Well, you had me until the gold disc, yeah, but at the same time, that premise, I just like it so much, and again, I know you're saying it's based on an existing story, but the idea of a decepticon switching sides or vice versa. I think is a is a great starting point for a, a story. So I, I have to vote for Jeff simply based on what you could do with that drama. All right, Jeff, where do you fall?
3: Well, I, I got to say, like, <laughs> I feel like uh, if you would have tied it to anything else, Jeremy, but you literally picked my <laughs> two least favorite franchises and tied them together. So, like, I just can't. I can in good conscience. But
1: can you that, imagine Michael Bay oh, directing a Fast I and can't. Furious <laughs> movie? And it's,
3: it's, as a movie fan, it's everything that's wrong with cinema today. <laughs> so no matter what, not that I didn't enjoy your pitch, Adam, because I did enjoy like it was definitely, as yours are, very well thought out and a, a lot of different things along those lines. So I, I did certainly enjoy the whole kind of like – rebel view of optimus and like young optimus prime being chosen i i like a lot of those elements that you brought out so i would vote for adam all right jeremy tiebreaker oh
0: (sighs) oh boy uh well uh, i lean adam as well just kind of give it a film that is non-human centric and get us back to earth in a roundabout reboot sort of way
3: All right. So now you're – which along those lines then, because since we're reintroducing Optimus, so this is a re-reboot, right? It's not even like (laughs) going with Bumblebee. I'm not saying the Transformers people mind. It's been rebooted so many times and so many things have been changed. Like that's part of the thing, so –
1: yeah, I, mean, I was watching a video today that explained that Optimus Prime has been killed like 29 different times wow. in wow. all these different continuities. Like, they keep <laughs> going back to that. So it's like, yeah, I mean, they're really, the world is open to take it any direction. But yeah, so it's, it's essentially, this is a reboot. Like, I added a little bit of my own Cybertronian history into the mix, you know, just to kind of give it what I felt it needed which was just a little less black and white these are good guys these are bad guys well why what are they all about you know what is what a certain concepts mean what do you don't just take them at face value is there a deeper meaning you could go with so uh but was there were there some plot holes for you or so, something you felt like wasn't made clear as to you know motivations
3: Well, it sounded like there was Optimus and RC who had a conflict, and then RC was ultimately chosen to be the leader?
1: Well, no, no. I mean, she becomes the leader after Optimus fails the first time. Okay. Where they meet the Dinobots. At that point, he's like, look, you want it so bad, take it. And the one scene I didn't write, you know, is RC has to have some moment where she gets humbled. I feel like where she realizes, look, I'm like the headstrong fight first and that gets me pretty far. But there there had to be a point where she fails maybe in the final battle or something.
3: Now, were you using because I know I was reading something that at least in the comics or something that, well, no, that was in the original movie, right? In the in the cartoon movie it's some sort of an energy or something that you pass on. And that's why it became hot. The, the matrix
1: prime. of leadership. Yeah. yeah. I, did, I didn't put You're that doing into that? this. I mean, okay. I, I, I almost felt like that was something to save for a later time, but that could ultimately be like the final scene is like after the battles over, like he is given the matrix of leadership, but I, I didn't want it to be like something that's getting passed around throughout the film. You know, I, I didn't want that to be the focus. It was more like the ch- they, they personally choose who they want to follow and who they believe is a leader, you know?
0: You, you mean you don't want to make a film with a MacGuffin?
1: <laughs> no MacGuffins! macguffin films. That would be my, my production company. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so
3: megatron uh, maybe i maybe i missed that at the beginning so megatron he's not the ruler right he's not like the king well, he essentially is he's a he dictator
1: is. he took he's over dictator
3: of yeah. cybertronia or cyber
1: Cybertron. Cybertron. <laughs> well he's got you one call of your favorite people? movies in the title jack i
3: know but but what did you call the people who live there cybertronians yeah cybertronians do they call them that or did you make I'm that up sure oh yes. all right all right
1: <laughs> that's the thing is like, basically I wanted to give it some history. Like he's been running it into the ground for 20 years, you know, like there's been this period where he's just been kind of doing what he wanted to do and, and mining everything out, getting all the energy on from the planet. And that's, what's causing the problem, you know? So it's like, and again, people are essentially just barely alive. So it's, it's that kind of thing where he's, Just take it everything because, look, they had their chance. They don't want to be part of the winning team. Fine. I'm going to get everything I can and then we're going to move on.
3: So the only other one that I would throw in there is that I feel like as a reboot, essentially, or a retcon or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it, is something about why they transform into something else. Did you have that?
1: Well, I did in in a more philosophical sense at the beginning because that's what the opening kind of like monologue by the speaker is where he's like he's the guy who's like the old wise man who's right. assembled the forces. And he's basically saying like that the the power that they have has been used throughout history to help other societies, other worlds by adapting to become part of whatever makes oh, that world yeah. what it yeah. is. Yeah, you you accept that, and then it helps you to become like a protector, or it helps you to become, you know. One with that world, whereas Megatron's whole thing is no, it's my way, and I just want everything you have to keep things my way, you know, and right. my view of what you could be, and you're not, you're weak and you're feeble and whatever, you know.
3: Which does still crack me up that it's, <laughs> that's definitely not the original intent of the toys. It was literally just, what if we had a robot that turned into a car? Why did he turn into a car? I don't know. Come up with something. Yeah, I mean, it's funny
1: because they have like literally, they had they turned into cameras. There was one that turned into a microscope. It was just like, huh? Because again, they were just like fun Japanese toys. Like, look, what if you had a robot that also did this? Like, even at the library near my house, my daughter is always renting Alphabots. That they're oh, just letters wow. that turn into robots, you know? <laughs> like, they're super fun.
3: Excellent. What is Megatron, does he turn into a tank or something?
1: Later on, he does. He's a pistol, is initially what his <clears throat> toy was. And it was so realistic that, like... There's a story of a salesperson getting stopped at an airport by securities, and he had to transform it in front of them to show (laughs) them, it's a toy. And, like, eventually he becomes Galvatron, which is, yeah, like this blaster with legs. And then, yes, he gets a tank form later on. So, yeah, it's like, whatever, he's always a big gun.
3: Exactly. Excellent.
1: But, I mean, is there anything as far as a use of their transforming ability that you feel like is missing? Something that could be unique? For example, the Dinobots, I always thought that was interesting that they were based on organic beings, whereas everything else we're used to seeing is a machine of some sort just because they're machine-like creatures, you know? But did you have any particular idea like, oh, what if they turned into this?
3: Well, I wonder if you could, especially because I like that premise that it's it's about helping and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But because Megatron is the ruler, if he has used that ability to benefit themselves it's not about helping others but if they're transforming somehow does benefit themselves so like they need to do some sort of a function they can transform their hand into a snowplow or they can transform their you know whatever they have that the transforming ability
1: the thing i was toying with that yeah i didn't emphasize very much is that megatron's ultimate plan is to take all of the energy on. So he's trying to get enough energy that it will literally transform him into an all-powerful being that can essentially control everything and convert anything and you know what I'm saying like so it's kind of that's how he will have complete control in his mind to prevent death and war and everything else is he sort of sees it as altruistic even though he's somewhat egomaniacal about it because he's saying like it's all it's all about me doing it again Thanos complex sort of you know it's all on me oh nobody else gets it you know
3: Skeletor from uh, Masters of the Universe
1: (laughs) i don't know about skeletor (laughs) i mean the the movie he becomes all powerful but for what you know he just he wants he likes to wear gold (laughs)
3: yeah
1: (laughs) but yeah but like but yeah that i mean that's ultimately like you said like maybe that's rc's downfall is maybe when she realizes megatron's plan that if you got enough energon you could do that maybe she wants to Stop some great evil that she sees. So she's like, "What if we did do that? What if we became the people that you know that everybody could count on because we had all the power or something? You know, and that maybe she gets a little bit tempted by that side of things. Maybe. Well, I
3: I think too, and which is kind of I think the direction that you were going is that again making it a character piece is that I feel like it should be about those two characters mostly. It should be about RC's character and about Optimus's character." And my thought is, it's kind of like you were saying, is that how do they ultimately make that decision to make Optimus the leader? And I think it would be that he is a leader, like he's the ultimate So to, to make him selfless and to make him a servant and to make him like all the things that make a great leader are the aspects that he has, as opposed to RC might be a better warrior or a better like whatever than Optimus. But that's ultimately not what makes a great leader.
1: Yeah, and that is the core of the story itself, right. and yeah, it would be that relationship for sure. But I mean, we could have, you know, just for Jeremy, at the very end, if they're going to Earth, you know, the actual end credit <laughs> scene is, you know, Dominic Toretto. crossover. Yeah, Red Star the Starscream. The post credit like, scene. <laughs> it's true but with
3: no like make no reference that it's just vin diesel they don't yeah they, and he's in a muscle car but we're not gonna <laughs> actually say it's a crossover it's just
1: and i think it'd be hilarious because then maybe hobbs and shaw crossover with the go bots and their movie and vin diesel's like ah <laughs> like, yeah rock you're stealing my thunder Yeah, and they they put out their movie just a few months earlier before the the Transformers Fast and Furious (laughs) crossover. I mean, I know Hobbs and Shaw is technically still Fast and Furious universe, but...
0: Right, just a spinoff, just a spinoff.
1: Which, by the way, looks awesome. Looks like so much fun.
0: Oh, it does.
1: (laughs) Jeremy, did you have anything else that you felt was missing before we wrap up? Uh,
0: No, I mean, it brings it back to the spirit of the franchise, and I'd say let's go for it see if all spark will green light this
1: yes come on guys give yourself something fresh put it in the art houses you know it can be <laughs> art film
3: <The> art houses <laughs>
1: Just release a black and white version like Logan. Why not? So, yeah, I mean, as far as casting goes, like I said, I was trying to think. There are like, no humans,
3: so. I know, there's no <laughs> humans, but I,
1: but I want it to be a character piece. Like, it's about the actors. And I was, like, literally, like, in my mind going something like, I don't know if mainstream casting is the right word, but I'm like, Oscar Isaac is Optimus Prime. He can play kind of both sides of things where he gets a little dark and deep or he gets a little fun love. Scarlett Johansson is R.C. But, you know, and maybe ultimately there would be like... Flash forwards. There'll probably be a time travel sequel eventually, where he meets up with his older self, and they have to team up. And then Peter Cullen's there. And he's like, "Yeah." But I mean, I I felt like this is almost you know the new blood Transformers. It's it's essentially the prequels. You know, you're building up to everything we've seen in the Bay films, and you know, maybe you know, even though it's I like it better as a rebooted universe, but maybe we could try to get really complicated and say how it ties in. What was what there? Was, what's that other? their franchise that just did that recently uh, well i I guess it sort of is fast and furious now that i think about it (laughs) where they're trying to say oh yeah han you know he was he was part of this you know all that you know you're just like this movie was before this movie it's out of out of right
0: they made tokyo drift out of order still my
3: favorite (laughs) talking about mainstream voices is that i mean like that's kind of bad i mean especially if you go back to like the the animated movie is that i mean what you had Leonard Nimoy, Casey Kasem, Orson Welles, Eric Idle. So you had definitely Judd Nelson. Huh? Ah. Judd Nelson. Go back was to our Halloween?
1: Breakfast Club episode. Yes, he he was Hot Rod. Eighty six. Oh wow. He's the one oh, who took he? over. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Rodimus yeah. Prime.
3: Scatman Crothers. Come that's on
1: right. now. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, they did grab all star cast even in G.I. Joe the movie. They had Don Johnson. Huh? Ah. He was big at the time. <laughs> I guess you're right. I mean, I, I guess I I like the idea of actors who, again, are known for their acting and not their persona, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. Although I would yeah. say, but the, the the challenge is is that getting someone who's known for their vocal acting, because like Scarlett Johansson, I, I don't know how great a
1: that's true. I mean, she was in Sing, and you're just like, what good did it do having yeah, you be uh, the porcupine? Other than she actually sang.
3: Like, Matthew McConaughey was pretty amazing in Sing. And I would not have thought of him as a vocal actor. I mean, I like him, but not... you. you know, yeah, he
1: was unrecognizable, it's for true. sure.
3: That was pretty impressive.
1: Matthew McConaughey for Optimus Prime?
3: You got no, it. No, no, that's not what I, <laughs> all not right, what I said. All right, all
1: right, all right. Roll out.
3: <laughs> exactly. Uh, although you do want him to be younger. So, I mean, if we were going to cast it like a, like as a, as a human character, then like Tom Hardy or, or, or even like Channing Tatum would be a big deal. But as far as vocally.
1: I've, we got to have one comedian in there to play Ratchet, the doctor. So I'm trying I, to think of maybe like an older comedian that you would fit into that slot. Cause you don't want somebody like too brash, but you know maybe like an Alan Alda as Ratchet, you know, just playing on the whole mash history that might be fun. Or I'm actually thinking, you know, who'd actually make a really good Optimus Prime? Michael Shannon.
3: Oh no, no, no! He's got no, no, a no,
1: voice. No. He could, he could. You want him to be Megatron? <laughs> he could be Megatron. That, yeah.
3: Okay. Okay. I will buy that one. I will buy that one. But I would not. I don't know I've never and I granted I haven't seen a couple of Michael Shannon's big movies but I've never actually liked him in anything and I want to like Optimus Prime
1: I mean I want Alec Baldwin in there somewhere but then you got just baby boss in your mind if anybody you know yeah, I mean it'd be, it'd be cool if he was like you know Hound or Ironhide or somebody but
3: well you already said like I guess you were saying Alan Alda or something for the voice at the beginning right
1: no no I was saying for Ratchet.
3: Oh right, the wise. Yes, yeah, cuz
1: he's the, yeah, the wise guy doctor. But yeah, you're right cuz for the speaker too, you need like a Patrick Stewart, but that's too obvious. You know, or an Anthony right. Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins wouldn't be bad. Yeah, Hopkins but he's already would got the it. Odin thing. he seems to be do anything. <laughs> and he was in the last night, wasn't it's he? It's true. It's true. Yeah, so he's already part of yeah, the he was... part of the family.
3: <laughs> the only thing I actually remember from that Transformers movie John Turturro! That voice, I want to hear that voice. That would be awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm sure we could find a spot. I mean, maybe let John Turturro do like a real character, because it feels like he always kind of plays some version of himself. Maybe he yeah. could give us a real voice, and he could be Starscream. Maybe uh, do something on that side. Do you want to be a good guy, or do you want to be a bad guy? I think it'd be fun to see him be a real out-there bad guy.
3: Yeah, actually... Oh, you know what? I know. I know who would be a great because I've heard him do vocal acting uh, as a great Optimus. I think a young optimist. because he was in uh, the Tron Uprising cartoon show. Is what's his name? Who was Jesse on Breaking Bad? Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. Yeah. Aaron as Paul. As Optimus. Yeah, because he's. I mean, the the one thing. I mean, he's he's older now than he was when he was on Breaking Bad. Obviously, he's actually you no, know, he's a year younger than you, Adam. But. I think he's got a lot of charisma in his voice. He doesn't have to swear as much as Jesse did on Breaking Bad. But, like, yeah, he he definitely is. I think he's got... I don't know about that leadership side. I didn't see... What was that movie that he was in where he was the racing guy?
1: Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, I don't remember what it was called. But yeah, yes. I don't know if I saw that one, but...
3: I mean, anyone who's watched Breaking Bad, I'm sure would vote for him for anything because he's brilliant in that. And and I thought he did very well in Tron as a voice actor.
1: So Aaron Paul versus Michael Shannon in a Transformers yeah. reboot. All right. But you
3: got to throw uh, our, our buddy, John DiMaggio. Oh, yeah. You got to throw Bender. him. A, a, <laughs> yeah, because still, well, not just Bender, I mean, but John DiMaggio just just is such a Perfect character voice actor. You just
1: that's throw him true. in there. Oh yeah. We we could grab any any character out. He, he could be hoist, he could be uh tracks, he could be blue streak or prowl, or whatever. We'll we'll find a character for him. Because there's so many, you know, in that final battle scene, that's where I feel like it's almost like the Lego movie or any of the Lego movies where you get like a million famous people to come voice a Transformer. You're gonna get Simon Pegg in there, you know, you're gonna get Seth Green, you're gonna you know, everybody that ever Played with the toys that wants a a shot to play a transformer will be in there and get one line in the battle.
3: Well, and so I should throw out John DiMaggio already has played Leadfoot in Dark of the Moon, Crosshairs in both Age of Extinction and The Last Night, and Nitro Zeus in Last Night. I don't know who that is, but he's already been voices of Transformers. So
1: so take that meat bag. Yeah, there's my Bender. Beautiful, <laughs> not getting the job. Well, and then I mean, last question. Do we have anybody we think we want to uh, to take on the directorial reins? Ryan Johnson? Everybody seems to hate his Star Wars. <laughs> see how he does with Transformers. He's reinventing things. I don't know.
3: Did you see Bumblebee? Directed by Travis Knight.
1: Well, like I said, just that first five minutes. Oh, okay.
3: Ooh, well, okay, here it is. You go to his Wikipedia page, and the first thing says, Knight began his career as a rapper under the name Chili Tea. Done. Done. (laughs) That's all you had to say, dude. You've got the job. And and he should direct
1: Transformers under the name Chili Tea, like (laughs) Mick G. He's Chili Tea.
3: (laughs) Well, and actually, the only two movies he's directed is Kubo and the Two Strings and Bumblebee. Which are very diverse, so yeah,
1: give him a shot. That'd be awesome. Okay, you got it, Travis. Or Chili Tea. That's right, Chili Tea, my bad. (laughs) I told you, I'm Chili Tea. (laughs) Well... I think we successfully gave you something new in Transformers by going back to what worked and, uh, you know, mixing it up just a little bit. Why don't you find us on social media? Tell us if you like this new continuity idea that we're putting together. You like Michael Shannon playing Megatron, huh? Reach out to us. I gotta tell you, our goal was to choose a franchise that was at least in this century, something not in the 80s, although it has its roots there. So if you have any suggestions for more current films or you know ones that did not end up being a franchise, which is what we aim to create here, why don't you let us know? Send us an email, sequelquestpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at SQPod. You know, we, we have a lot of fun on there interacting with folks and finding our guests. So if you have an idea and you want to pitch it, Hey, if you got a mic and the will, why don't you uh, come on the show and tell us what you got? So we do have some fun episodes coming up. I will tease here and see if it entices you to come back for one more episode. Next episode will be Troop Beverly Hills. That's right. You love Shelley Long. You love a bunch of Girl Scouts. You are going to get some fun. Uh, You're going to find out my history and uh, current obsession with this film but we actually have a Hollywood screenwriter who's been involved with some related projects in development who is going to be on the show with us to pitch some of her ideas. And get this, she actually is from Beverly Hills. What? Uh, this is exciting. So <laughs> we, we got all the connections. We're celebrating the 30th anniversary of the film this year. So find it, give it a watch, and then come enjoy the fun. It's going to be cookie time. Also, after that, we are going to be getting into a film that I know is a favorite in the realm of hypothetical sequels there's some rumors it's really going to happen but that is michael jordan bugs bunny back together again space jam that's right we're going to tell you what our sequel ideas for space jam would be and one of our favorite guests coming back eric you know him from our mighty ducks episode and he came back for field of dreams the fiasco that was oh it got weird but we're excited to have eric back and talking sports once more so, thanks for listening, and until next time,
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest, and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting sequelquestpod.com, following us on Twitter at sqpod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to sequelquestpod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended.